you know this, but Thanksgiving is just a week away. And while you're getting ready to visit with family members and preparing for that big meal and the leftovers, I hope, it's important to ask yourself, why do we celebrate this? I'm John Fuller, and this is the Christmas Stories Podcast. And it's not Christmas yet. We're talking today about the significance and history of Thanksgiving and why it's important for us to remember it. My co-host is Vice President of Communications here at Focus on the Family, Paul Batura. John, it's great to be with you. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, a lot of young kids think Thanksgiving is, is about a big meal. But there's a lot more to Thanksgiving than the food. And that's what uh, I think we're here to talk about. You're a kind of a, an armchair historian, if you will. I mean, you love history. I love history. I mean, I, I majored it in school. You know, I, like a lot of people out there, I love to read and, uh, you know, there's that famous quote that's been misattributed, I think, to a lot of different people. But when it comes to history, you know, those who don't learn it uh, are, are doomed to, doomed to repeat, to repeat it. it. Yeah. And uh, there's that could be a very bad thing. And I think we've seen evidence of that even today. When you look at what's going on in the world, there's a lot of lot that you can predict based on the past. And uh, it's good then to look back and say, well, why are we celebrating what we're celebrating? Yeah. I think it adds a little significance to it. Well, I'm looking forward to the conversation because the story of Thanksgiving really uh, does tie right into recognizing why we're so fortunate, why we have so many wonderful, good gifts. You know, we all grew up uh, hearing about the pilgrims. T- tell us a little bit about them. Yeah, I think a lot of people, when they think of a pilgrim, they think of, uh, you know, a a person wearing a funny hat with a belt on it. As a kid, I always wondered why do they wear belts on their hats. But the pilgrims were called separatists back in the day. They were simply a group of people who were living in England. They were not happy with the Church of England. You know, the Church of England had broken away from the Catholic Church, so they had at least addressed that grievance, that they were upset with uh, what they considered to be unbiblical interpretation of things. But the Church of England was pretty oppressive, and so this group of people, known as separatists, took off, and they wound up settling in Holland for a little while, and then from Holland, they made a decision that they were going to go settle in the New World. And um, they, as we all know the story, they set forth on the Mayflower, and they landed uh, in 1620 and took up uh, a new life. And um, A hard one. A very hard one. I mean, can you imagine John landing in Plymouth, Massachusetts at the end of autumn? Very few provisions to have to fend and set up a new, a new place and, and find a new, live, uh, new way of life. But that's exactly what they did. But mm-hmm. one of the things, you know, we talk about this traditional story of Thanksgiving, and there's, you know, this is where I don't want to sound like Cliff Clavin from Cheers, but there are a lot of competing uh, claims to Thanksgiving. There's actually 12 of them, if you look back in the history I books. did not know this. Um, we have a colleague who loves Virginia. He likes to point out that the first official Thanksgiving was in Virginia. There are people who actually point back to uh, Texas. The point is, no matter what the claim was about Thanksgiving, they all were thanking the Lord for something. Mm. They were thanking him for provisions. They were thanking him for clothes, for food, for uh, freedom of faith, uh, to pursue faith. Uh, and that's really what we are celebrating today. I mean, you can get caught in all the details, caught up in all the facts and, and disputable facts. Thanksgiving is actually, uh, you know, didn't really become an American thing until um, the end of the Civil War, when the President Lincoln declared the first Thanksgiving official Thanksgiving mm-hmm. in the sense of how we kind of celebrate it. And then, of course, it evolved into its current manifestation. Yeah. Well, we're going to hear a conversation from Focus President Jim Daly. Uh, he and I talked with best-selling author and historian Eric Metaxas. 
And Eric describes uh, an important person who helped the pilgrims after they arrived at Plymouth Rock. Basically, uh, nobody had come to, you know, when I say North America, I'm saying, you know, Massachusetts, Virginia, whatever. We we, we all know that, uh, you know, in 1607, they went to the Virginia colony. That didn't go so well. There's some problems there or whatever. But in 1620, uh, some ship called the Mayflower with, you know, a group of 100 religious dissidents, right, come across, and they, they're what we call the pilgrims. They land. They go through hell. 50% of them die. Now, that's like one of these statistics. It means nothing. Think about it. Yeah. Think about you and your family and some other families are going to go on a trip because God has led you to do this, and half of you get sick and die, and you bury each other. It's like out of one of the darkest tales of history, okay? Mm. So we know about that. But what we don't know is what happened before 1620, and this is what shocked me. I had no clue, is that just because the pilgrims were the first ones to settle there, they were not the first ones to travel there. There had been a number of trading ships from England that would come down. You know, Maybe they'd hit Greenland or Iceland. They'd go to Newfoundland. They'd come down the coast uh, to what is Maine and all the way down Massachusetts, and they would trade with the Native Americans. They would come down to the shore, and they would trade them, you know, whether it's pots and pans for beads or, or beaver pelts or whatever, that there had been trading that was going on. But nobody had settled. So it's only these crazy pilgrims that come from, you know, they were obviously uh, persecuted for their faith in England, but they went to Holland to escape the persecution, and then they're in Holland for a few years, and they say, this is not working out. Our kids are becoming Dutch. We're going to go across the Atlantic. So they go across the Atlantic in 1620, and they settle. But as I say, it's what happened before that that makes this story understandable. And here's what happened. In about 1608, 12 years before the pilgrims come, one of these trading ships uh, led by a Captain Hunt uh, is coming down the main coast to what's today Massachusetts to trade. Okay, And again, there have been a number of these, but this was one – uh, that happened around 1608, and Captain Hunt was a wicked man. Uh, he and I'm sure many other of these wicked traders uh, were not just interested in getting beaver pelts and things. They said, you know what? We can make a lot of money if we can kidnap some of these young Native Americans, throw them in the hold of the ship, drag them across the Atlantic, and sell them as slaves. Won't we make a lot more money? Hey, slavery's not illegal. Let's make some money. So they land the ship in 1608. The trusting uh, Indians come down. Now, by the way, this is right where Plymouth, Massachusetts is today. Uh, So it was the Patuxet tribe. They come down, and as I said, John Hunt, this wicked captain, they, you know, hit them over the head, whatever. They drag them on the longboat, throw them in the hold of the ship, take them across the Atlantic, and sell them at a high profit in Malaga, Spain. And there's no real record, a uh, small record, but there, we don't know the number of no. Native Americans that were actually taken no. into slavery. No, it's complicated, and even this story has some things that people aren't clear on. But the stuff I'm talking about is we know for sure, okay? So. One of these uh, braves is a 12-year-old named Tisquantum. Now, where the story gets insane is that Tisquantum is bought by friars, by monks, who by all accounts treated him very well. He learns the Christian faith, 
and then somehow they conspire to figure out can we get him back to his people. Now, can you imagine what we're talking about? Right, we're talking he's like in now Spain. it's like 1611, 1612 and we're talking about you're in Spain. That's like saying, "Hey, I'm stranded on the moon. When's the next bus heading back to Earth?" There ain't no bus. Like wh- what are you talking about? There's no uh, railroad or flights or that right. you're you're in Europe and it's 1612. They somehow felt if we can get him back to London, there are trading ships. Maybe we can connect him with one of these trading ships to get back home. I mean, the odds against this are like one in a billion. But somehow, after five years, he gets to London. He works for a, a family as a stable hand. So imagine this. This Indian who's come from what's Plymouth is now in the England of Shakespeare and whatever. He learns perfect English and everything, and he's working there waiting for an opportunity to get a ship back. So it's the, the year is probably 16 – I'm guessing 1618 is the year that they finally find a ship that needs a translator. So Tisquantum, who's now this young man, he is picked, and for passage across, he's going to be the translator or whatever. So I think they winter in Iceland or something, and then uh. they go down to the coast. And when they get to Patuxet, which is the southern part of Massachusetts, they go, hey – this is where you want it to go. You're done. Goodbye. This Thank you very stop. much. This is your bus stop. You get off the bus. So he gets off the bus, <laughs> and he runs through the woods after it. Now, just imagine. He's learned the Christian faith. He speaks English. Ten years, he's been longing to return mm. home. Amazing. He gets home. There's nobody there. The village is empty where he grew up. He goes to a neighboring tribe and finds out that some kind of a plague epidemic, probably smallpox, wiped out all of his people. There's like one or two left, and they're living with the neighboring tribe. So it's kind of like we kind of think, well, what do we care? He's back with the Indians. No, no, no. His tribe was dead. The neighboring tribe was as foreign to him as the English. So he lives with them for a little while. Then he goes off to live in the woods alone. This is so heartbreaking and strange. Well, while he is there wondering what has God done with my life, why would God allow me to come all the way back against the odds for nothing? Right. At the same time, a group of Puritans called the Pilgrims land the Mayflower on what is today Plymouth, but in those days was Patuxet, the very place where this young man had grown up. We know that they go through the winter. We know that they die like flies. They are crying out to God, Lord, how could you lead us to this place? We know you led us, but we're dying like flies. And frankly, they were planning to go back because they're not succeeding. Well, in the spring... Out of the woods walks an Indian named Squanto. Uh, he's led there by a Somerset who'd been talking with the pilgrims, and he speaks perfect English. Imagine – put yourself in the shoes of the pilgrims. They're stranded on this – you know, they're all alone. They're dying. An Indian comes out of the woods and basically says, uh, I speak perfect English. I have been in London more recently than you have, mm. and – where you have settled is where I grew up, and I know everything that is necessary about how to plant crops, about where to fish, where to get lobsters, how to get eels out of the muddy streams. And by the way, I have nothing else to do with my life. I am here for you to help you. I mean, if he didn't speak perfect English, it would still be a miracle. But yeah. he spoke perfect Like, it's just insane. And so he gives himself to these pilgrims, and because of him, they stay they flourish. It's one of the miracles of history, 
And it goes one step further is that if they had not succeeded there, 10 years later on the Arbella, the Massachusetts Bay Colony, which was even much more significant, that would have never happened if the Pilgrims hadn't succeeded at Plymouth. So you could say that the cradle of liberty, Boston, everything that comes out of the revolution, that whole culture, never would have happened if Squanto had not walked out of the woods prepared by God, like Joseph, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. It's one of the craziest stories in history. It's documented. Not that many people know it. So I put it in my book, If You Can Keep It, because as far as I'm concerned, every American needs to know the story. And that's a pretty amazing story, isn't it? That uh, God provided for the pilgrims through Squanto. This is Christmas Stories from Focus on the Family, and uh, we're kind of gearing up early. Everything is earlier and earlier for Christmas. Eric mentioned his book, If You Can Keep It, and we're making that available to you today. It's at focusonthefamily.com slash Stories. And don't forget, Advent is coming up soon, and we have a free calendar download for you. It's called Knowing Him by Name. And, uh, Paul, do you use an Advent calendar in your own home? We do, John, and uh, I've used it ever since I was a little kid, in fact. Um, you know, I think—I don't know if you agree with me on this, but I think there's a malady that kind of afflicts the human condition, and certainly in the modern day. And that is, we like to rush everything right to the point. So, for example, when I think of Easter— you know, people like to go straight from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, mm. and they forget about the whole week the journey in there. between. Yes. And Christmas is a very celebratory time. But at the same time, the Advent season, you know, which is the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, is a time of preparation. Mm. And uh, as a kid, to see the progression week by week and, and many Advent calendars day by day, there's, it's, it's helpful for a child, I think, to see the progression of it and to kind of go on a little journey. From the beginning to the end, it took Mary nine months to carry Jesus. We only have to wait, you know, four weeks for the Advent season. But I think it's good for a child to experience that um, anticipation. You know, my mom always used to tell me anticipation is often better than realization. Hmm. Christmas is, is the best, and I don't think there's any letdown except maybe the night of Christmas when all the gifts are open. But it is a good thing to do, and our calendar, I think, really is a good tool for parents to use uh, on a daily basis. You might have to search far and wide to find a good Advent calendar, but just get our free one. It's at focusonthefamily.com slash Christmas stories. We're going to return now to more from that conversation with Eric Metaxas as he shares the rest of Squanto's story. Eric, let me ask you this. And of course, we have the background sounds yeah. of New York Just City here. Just to prove here. we're in New York. Yeah. But let me ask you this. How do we take the lesson from Squanto as believers, fellow yeah. believers yeah. with him? Yeah to say that we can't look at just our life as the end all of God's plan, That's that the- it's all about me, that there is something at work that is bigger than us, that is more important than God us. God asks us to trust him, and he doesn't always give us the proof that we're looking for. I mean, here, here's the bottom line. Sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't, but he's still the same God. If he doesn't give you the results you're looking for, it doesn't mean that he's not there. And in the case of Squanto, sometimes he gives us stories from history to show us, look, I am faithful. You may not see it every single time, but I want you to know I'm faithful. And this is such a crazy story. I don't know what other uh, moral you can pull from it except God is real. It's Mm. just one of those things. If you're doubting where you're in life right now and why you're here, God knows the rest of the story. And all you need to do is trust him 
uh, and know that he won't fail you. He will not fail you. To that end, Eric, did uh, the man we know as Squanto, did he get to see a, a good ending to his personal story? Squanto actually died very young. He died only a few years after this. They don't know what he died of. But before he died, he was able, and I forgot to say this, to broker a deal. Imagine this, to broker a deal with the surrounding Indian tribes so that there was peace between the English settlers and the surrounding Indian tribes that lasted for 50 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, you cannot even imagine that makes any diplomatic effort that you've ever heard about seem not that amazing. This is just amazing because we know the horrors with Philip's, uh, King Philip's War in 1670, but for 50 years there was peace. But, but my point is he did not see that 50 years of peace. He, he, he saw – that's right. We he don't saw, always see what our life has been about until see, afterwards. He did not see – we see, but he did not see most of what he had accomplished. Yeah. I mean, that's something. Hey, Eric, as we wrap up here, um, I'm thinking of the celebration of Thanksgiving. One of the things that we did was radio theater, which is a dramatization of a variety of stories. But one of the stories we did was Squanto. I know. And, uh, you know, along with your highlighting of this, maybe talking about it around the table so that your children better understand the contribution Squanto made to this nation. Right. That he was in the early days before People came here. Well, look, I wrote a I wrote a children's book about it, uh, which many people have said to me, "Oh, we read that at Thanksgiving." And I think that is my fondest dream that you'd read this with your kids. You know, the adult version is in my book if you can keep it. And obviously, there's the folks on the family radio theater, which I've heard for years. People said, "Did you know they did a Squanto story?" But I think that we have to tell these stories to our kids. It's an obligation as parents. We've got to put these things in their hands because. This is who we are as a people. God has had his hand on us. Therefore, we have a responsibility. Well, what an incredible legacy that one man left. And as Jim mentioned, we have a radio theater drama called The Legend of Squanto. Let's go ahead and hear a short clip from that. Is it a French ship? Do you think they've come to trade? It is not French. It is English. How do you know? Satosqua, the Nossets told me of the English ships and the colors they carry. They have been negotiating trade with many of the tribes in this country. Why haven't they traded with us? They may be here to trade with us now. Will you meet with them, Father? Mm, if they come to greet us in peace, yes. But I see no scouts, no canoes, no representatives. May I go around to the ridge? I can see more clearly from there. I'll go with you. No, Patawak. Stay here. I want Patawak to go with you to Squantum. Then he may run back to tell me what you see from the ridge. I will be your messenger. Yes, son, you will. Now go, both of you. Yes, sir. Slow down to Squantum. If you want to be a messenger, you'll have to keep up. You were trying to get rid of me. Father said I could come. Well, come then, but please be quiet. How can I scout with you chattering on? Don't you see it? A small boat around the cove. There, on the beach. Ah. They've come ashore. Quickly, Patawak! Run and tell Father that the English are already... Ah. Squat him! Run, Patawak, run! Father, help! That was easy enough. Do you want me to go after the little one? No. Too scrawny. 
We'd never get a good price for him, and he probably wouldn't survive the voyage. This one looks strong. Hey there, lad. You speak English? I didn't think so. Parlez-vous français? Obviously not the talkative type. Take him back to the ship. That's five, Captain Hunt. Shall we look for more? I'd like to, but I'm afraid we won't have the room on the ship. He'll be enough for now. Hey, Savage! How would you like to see the world? Hey. Well, you're going to see it whether you want to or not. <laughs> At least, you're going to see Spain. <laughs> Let's go! Oh, I think he wants to say goodbye. These savages aren't like you and me. They don't care about goodbyes, but they'll learn our ways. Or die trying. Now keep quiet and maybe you won't get hurt. Here's some of your mates to keep you company. You can grunt at each other. <laughs> Another brother joins us. What has happened? Who are you? I am Sasakomet of the Wampanoag tribe. From the Algonquins, I am Manida. Sketwaras from the noble Penacooks. I am Tisquantum of the Patuxets. I don't understand. Why have they put us here? Because they are cowards and would not fight us as honorable men. They sneak and steal like foxes among chickens. We are hostages, then. Will they use us to get food or supplies? We do not know their minds or their schemes. It's a mistake. Mm. I said the same thing a week ago. Even as one of their leaders, the one called Captain Smith, smoked the pipe of peace and exchanged gifts with our leaders, this one, with the wolf's eyes... Captain Hunter. ...made his plans to capture us as slaves. Slaves? It is true, young one. We must fight. We must find a way to escape. It's of no use, young one. Even if you escape this place of darkness, there are many men to capture you outside. No, my father will take action. My tribe will wage war. I'm sure they would, but how will they wage war against a ship like this? Listen to the waves against the side of the boat, young one. We are moving from the land. No. The Great Spirit would not allow innocent men to die this way. Die? We will not die. Though we may wish it were otherwise. Boy, John, hearing drama, you know, we love radio drama and we love radio theater here at Focus mm -hmm. on the Family. Hearing dramas like that uh, really encourages me that God is with us every step of the way. No matter what our problem is, no matter how steep the climb is, he's right there by our side. And I think if they could endure what they endured to make this country, mm -hmm. I think the, the hardships we face, and I know individuals have their share, we all do, but uh, there is nothing that we cannot handle as long as God is by our side. Well, I appreciate that. That's really a, a good perspective to have. And uh, we have more now from Gloria Gaither sharing a powerful story that addresses the question of, so what does the historical Thanksgiving have to do with me here and now in 2018? Thanksgiving at the Gaither House um, is probably one of our most favorite days of the year, including all the children and the grandchildren. Um, it's the day when everybody comes to our house, of course, and we have a big old country kitchen with a fireplace in it, and we all stand around that big island in the middle of our kitchen when it's time to eat with this island of food groaning with the weight of the food. But before we begin to eat, we always take down the little tiny basket that I have hanging on a hook over my kitchen sink. It has in it many grains of Indian corn 
And one of the tiny children goes around and passes out grains of corn to everybody in the family. And as we gather for our prayer time, uh, everybody has a grain of corn in their hand. It is our tradition to go around that circle and everybody tell what they're most thankful for since we gathered in that circle the year before. Um, The kids spend weeks before Thanksgiving trying to think and plan what they're going to say when it's their time to come around. And I have a feeling they don't spend any more time thinking about it than the grandparents and great-grandparents do, too, because it turns out to be a pretty meaningful time. We always think it's going to be lighthearted, but always ends up um, that we're overwhelmed by our gratitude for things that have happened to our family in the intervening years. And usually in that circle Although we don't think about it until we gather, we recognize that there is someone missing who was there in the circle the year before. So we give thanks for lots of things. Sometimes it's simple things like family, like food. But more often than not, it's about progress and growing and survival and pain and joy and gladness. Sometimes it's for a brand new baby. Sometimes it's for an honor that has come to one of the kids since the year before. Sometimes we're just thankful that Bill's 90-year-old grandfather is still there in our circle, the one remaining parent that we still have. But it, it's the purpose of that circle and the reason we do the corn thing that we put back into the basket as we pass it around is to remind ourselves that the first Thanksgiving was not like that, that barely had these pilgrims made it through the winter. Many of them died en route to the new country, and many of them did not survive the winter. And had it not been for some Indians that became friends and taught them how to raise crops that would actually work in this country, um, there would not have been any food. Um, The following year, however, the bounty of that harvest was a different story. And so we tell the story again and read the poems about the landing of the Pilgrim Fathers. And I think sometimes we get tired of telling the same old stories The grown-ups have heard them lots of times, but I can't tell you how important I think it is that we as families keep telling the stories, keep saying it over and over. Tell why we have the 4th of July. Why do we have Thanksgiving? What is Christmas all about? Why is it necessary to make Valentines that say, I love you? Why do we treasure each other? Um, These wonderful holidays are great times for us to reestablish the whys of our lives. And um, Thanksgiving is one of the best because those who live with gratitude are those who live with joy. You know, John, uh, just hearing her talk about their sitting around the table, swapping family stories. You know, my my mom and dad are gone now and um, uh, my dad most recently. And uh, I have tremendous memories of those holiday times around the table. And that's now part of me and they're part of me. And I do feel like it's my responsibility as a parent to pass that on to the kids. And, you know, we are constantly reminding them about the plan God has for their life. We don't know what that plan is. You know, just as an aside, when, when my old, our oldest son was, was about five or six, I was in this very thoughtful mood, and, and I was telling him about this. And it was early in the morning, and I said, you know, God has a, a plan for your life. And he said, you know, Dad, I know he does, but right now my underwear is too tight. <laughs> and and it, I laugh at that, and he didn't realize, he wasn't trying to be funny. I mean, it was truly where he was living, yeah, right? Yeah. 
But that's um, all good and fine, Dad. But I have a pressing problem but, right now. Correct. And but I, it 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 brings to mind because I know there are people out there listening who have young kids, and it's hard sometimes to sit around a table of young kids and have thoughtful, uh, poignant conversations mm-hmm. because they're constantly interrupted with you know a, not rudeness necessarily, but you know just sort of. They tangents and tangents yeah. and and uh, obscure comments and you know are they getting it and look the the fact of the matter is in the end they'll get it as long as you are as Gloria suggested be thoughtful about it be deliberate about it be consistent about it mm-hmm. because enough sticks not all of it will but that's why you have to do it all the time because you don't know what's going to stick and what's not uh, it is going to stick if you're genuine and trying to meet the kids where they're at and you come up with something. That makes a difference for him. Susie Larson, uh, we've talked about her book, Growing Grateful Kids, but she's addressed this. She has a terrific resource to help you uh, really cultivate a spirit of gratitude in your kids year-round. We've got copies and details at focusonthefamily.com slash Christmas stories. If you can make a generous financial donation to help focus today, uh, we're listener-supported. We'll send a complimentary copy of that book to you. Again, focusonthefamily.com slash Christmas stories. All right, so next time, Black Friday, we're going to be discussing the importance of managing your money during the Christmas season. You know, I really think it's peer pressure, but I think it's brought on by this huge thing in our lives called the consumer credit industry. They spend a ton of money. They know how to tickle our emotions. I mean, if you walk into stores, I'm telling you, Jim, They've already got Christmas going at the Costco and where I live, and it tingles our senses and and makes us want it to be so perfect, and and we have to get beyond that. We'll hear Mary Hunt and more on the next episode of Christmas Stories. For Paul Batura and the entire team, I'm John Fuller. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family's Christmas Stories podcast, and have a wonderful Thanksgiving.